Hello, and welcome to the Vote Her podcast, because when you vote, great things can happen. Hi, I'm Mara Davis, radio and TV host, dog enthusiast, political enthusiast, and according to the AJC, a prominent Democratic activist, a PDA. Wow, PDA. (laughs) And I am Jen Jordan, and um, I am a state senator, a suburban mother, and uh, a Joe Biden supporter. Well, congratulations to Joe Biden, not only being the vice president of the United States, now being the POTUS elect, and then winning in Georgia by over 14,000 votes. Now, when they say it was a razor thin victory for Biden here, I don't think that's razor thin, do you? So it's razor thin in that out of the total number, of votes, right? So um, 5 million people voted, or over 5 million people voted. So out of 5 million, 14,000? I mean, if you ever have questioned whether or not your vote mattered, you absolutely know it now. There was something so beautiful and cathartic. I mean, it was obviously great to see Biden win, but it was an extra layer in Georgia. And I know we talked about that last week, but then now there's a a taint, unfortunately. Well, look, the, the good thing is that they are doing, they being the Secretary of State, has ordered the county election boards to do a hand recount. What does that mean? It means they are going to take every piece of paper and they are going to mark it down and they're going to tally it and add it up. And look, from my perspective, it'll be nice to win twice, right? But the fact that we're kind of having to do this because we've got Trump having a tantrum or we have a bunch of people who just refuse to believe that that Trump lost. I mean, that's that's disheartening. But dun, 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 we have new voting machines, right? So we need to check them anyway. So this actually, in some ways, could be a win-win. So this way, we get to make sure that the voting machines that we have now, we can actually trust. And that's good, ultimately. That is an optimistic view. It did not come about this way when all of a sudden, in the middle of the afternoon, a press release comes out from appointed Senator Kelly Leffler and Senator David Perdue saying they were calling for the Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger to step down. Yeah, that was some ridiculousness. And then what we've heard in terms of what's been reported with respect to behind the scenes is that, you know, basically they're they're getting pressured by Trump. And um, if they don't come out and, and say what he wants them to say, allegedly, then he's going to tweet something bad about them and not support them for the runoff. Here's what's interesting. Trump has made no announcements or plans to come to Georgia with all of this. So here we have this whole whoop-de-doo about making sure the Secretary of State, call, the calling for his resignation, which it makes no sense because he's an elected official. He can't, you know, he was voted in that position. He's a Republican. He's a total MAGA guy. I normally don't want to give credit because I haven't been a fan. But you know what? The elections went pretty dang smooth this time. 
No, and thankfully they did. I mean, that's what's been interesting about this whole thing is that the elections were run by Republicans, right? They control government in this state. And so when you then attack Republicans, you know, that are running the elections and saying somehow they screwed it up, I mean, it just, that's what's kind of been a little bit of a whiplash situation. And then... On top of everything, Brad, he looks like such a Brad, by the way, Brad has to quarantine because his wife tests positive for COVID, which we hope he gets better, of course. But that seemed like the biggest, oh my God, can we have another thing? He says that he tested negative and that he's overseeing everything and everything, you know, and they've got all these watchers now everybody's watching them do this recount. It's crazy. No, it's like being live streamed. (laughs) I mean, literally, you can go on the computer and live stream (laughs) lots of people hand counting ballots all over this state. Um, You know, you, you can view democracy in action. I don't know what's more boring, though, watching paint dry or watch it. I'd rather watch like a little uh, panda bear. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> at the zoo or something. Well, but let's let's also give credit where credit's due, right? Because Joe Biden won Georgia and it just freaked the Republicans out. But you know, we got to give we got to give credit. We have to give credit to the queen, the goat, and that would be Stacey, Stacey Abrams. Abrams. Gosh, we love her. Look, she has been everywhere since this election, right? And She's she's kind of this voice that makes people feel like it's going to be okay here. Even if we have to do this recount, it's okay. Like, we won. So that's fine. Just recount the winning votes. And let me tell you what. She can be such a snark and she's so funny. She really is great on all the talk shows. She's already been on The View. She was on Stephen Colbert. She had some great great zingers on there. You're being credited with your get out the vote effort, your organizing of Georgia. How did you do it? So I want to make certain we give credit to so many groups that have been working at this for a very long time. My part was that when I became Democratic leader in 2010, I started building an infrastructure to focus on registration, on recruiting and training staff, on making certain we were in every single county And I advanced that through multiple cycles. In 2018, I finally had enough money to do all the things we dreamed of. I raised $40 million for my my gubernatorial race. And we kept raising money after I lost to keep focusing on keeping this infrastructure in place. We worked with other organizations. We helped seed some of those groups, including the New Georgia Project, which I founded, Fair Fight and Fair Count. And we had, you know, know, two million voters who understood that their voices were needed and they showed up. Well, I, I know that um, you were doing all this organizing and all of these efforts along with these other groups long before you ran for governor. But you know, one of the sort of hallmarks of that campaign was the obvious voter purchase and voter suppression that were going on under then Secretary of State Kemp. And I imagine that must have given you even more um, um, energy for this effort than before. He was a galvanizing force for the intensity of my efforts this time, yes. Do you think, do you think there are any, 
Republicans <laughs> on the national level now going, oh, would be better if she was just governor. Now we've lost the whole damn state. I had some time on my hands. If they'd let me have this other job, I probably would have been distracted. You know, I've only met Stacey one time. You probably know Stacey. Yeah, we were running kind of in a parallel way. So I would see her at a bunch of uh, a bunch of events that we were both speaking at. But I will tell you, if you have never seen her um, speak in person, really try. I mean, even if you're on the other side of the aisle, she is probably one of the best political speakers um, that I've ever heard. And, and it's really an amazing thing to watch. I met her at WABE. She was there for an interview and I, when I was working there. And I said, hey, I do a segment here. And she was like, oh, Mara, I know your segment. I, you know, I listen to it all the time. She was like, and, you know, your music picks, you know, sometimes I wonder about your choices. But for the most part, you're doing great. So she gave me a little shade, which I loved, and then brought it home and made me feel like the most important person in the room. Look, and she's what's fascinating about her is that um, she really is into pop culture. Um, so she, you know, Star Trek, all kinds of stuff that she she's a big fan of. So, you know, well, she certainly did get everybody out to vote with Fair Fight and New Georgia Project and so many of those great organizations. And by the way. We have such a great list of other grassroots organizations all around the state that are doing everything they can to get out the vote for these runoffs. And if you need a more complete list, you can always tweet us or we have a, a Gmail account, which is podcast, a vote her podcast at gmail.com. That's vote her podcast at gmail.com. We love your feedback. And listen, we talk about Stacy because the most important thing right now is that runoff. Yes. And we've already been inundated with ads. I mean, it hasn't even been, I mean, we haven't even gotten a certified election count yet. And we're already seeing negative ad after negative ad after negative ad. Well, we talked about last week, the positive ad with Reverend Warnock and the puppies, which is still my absolute favorite thing. I love that ad. But Kelly Leffler has come out swinging on Warnock from a pastor who he's sort of aligned with, but not really. He's, I mean, he's Jeremiah Wright. It's yeah. the same thing that they pulled out with, with Barack Obama when he was running. Oh, who was the one with Jeremiah, with uh, Obama? Um, yeah, Jeremiah Wright. Oh, it was? Yeah. It was him it's too? the same guy. <sighs> I mean, so, you know, it's the same thing that I guess whenever you have a, a black man running, they feel like they need to kind of, uh, you know, they just need to put it out there. Well, this is a little bit of the spot. I'm Kelly Leffler. I approve this message. Raphael Warnock's talking puppies because he doesn't want you to hear this. Not God bless America. God damn America. Warnock defended Jeremiah Wright's hatred, then gave him an award for truth-telling. We celebrate Reverend Wright. Warnock celebrated anti-American hatred. God damn America. Jeremiah Wright is doing what he should do. He is a preacher and a so, prophet. Raphael Warnock, a radical's radical. Now, when I saw it, it didn't really scare me. I don't know, because it feels like it's so dated. It's so dated. It's so <laughs> yeah. 2007. Here we have Kelly, someone who is aligned herself with someone who doesn't pay taxes, assaulted women, allegedly, numerous assaults on that, uh, offends the military in horrible ways. And th this, you know... 
they they were in church together. Look, I mean, I think that that Reverend Wright has espoused some views that, you know, not everybody is necessarily jiving with. They're not mainstream, some of them. But are they even still like a thing? Look, it doesn't even it doesn't even matter in some ways. It's like who has she been hanging out with, right? I mean, we got her up there with Marjorie Taylor Greene. Hello. You know, so the whole idea that that you're going to pull out, you know, Reverend Jeremiah Wright and somehow that's going to connect, it's just it's just stale and I and I don't think it's landing. I haven't seen a whole lot of the negative Ossoff ads. No, I think <laughs> so this is my my theory on all of that. So we saw negative Ossoff ads for months on end. So I think they've, they 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 feel pretty comfortable, you know, that they've bloodied him up some. Mm-hmm. Um, but you will remember that they, the Republicans, did not lay a hand on Reverend Warnock the entire time leading up to November 3rd, which just left him free to really define himself to voters, introduce himself to voters. And now, look, they've got a, the clock is ticking and they've got, I mean, the runoff is January 5th, and we know that early vote starts in December, and they there hadn't been one negative thing said about this reverend. Okay, so I got a couple of questions, and I want your thoughts on it. Number one, the absentee ballot. Do we do that? Do we vote in person? We both ordered ours. You can order yours, too. But what, what do we do? I saw uh, Sarah Gazelle, who, who was a guest on this show, who was an election specialist, she tweeted out that uh, she was going to be voting in person and felt it was too close to the election or there wasn't enough time and she was concerned about that. Will there be drop boxes like the last time? There will be drop boxes. And so what I would suggest is you either vote early in person, right? Or I would order the absentee and I would put it in a drop box. Okay. And then I would confirm that that ballot has been accepted, which you can do by going to mvp.sos.ga.gov. Is ballot tracks going to be a part of this one or is that just yeah, for the general? I think, I think ballot tracks, you will be able to track it. I would not, you know, t- talking about Sarah, I absolutely would not put anything in the mail. Okay. I think what we've seen is that uh, only 80% of basically the absentee ballots or, or the election mail actually made it to where it needed to go coming out of Atlanta. And so that is incredibly concerning. Okay. So we have that. And, and, and one question about when it comes to the runoffs, as far as when it goes to Ossoff and Purdue. Look, Purdue handily beat Ossoff by almost 100,000 votes, maybe more or less. So this is going to be a very tough climb. And we've looked at some of the polls. As we talked to our guest last week, Connor Sen, who was a great guest, he was saying he wanted to look at the polls. And now the poll, like election week, is out. And it's pretty much neck and neck again. Yeah, but look, what we know is this. Runoffs are just their own, kind of in their own class. And... You know, folks will remember that Karen Handel beat Governor Deal pretty handily. 
in the initial race uh, for governor. And then he beat her like a drum in the runoff. So it really is about getting your people out to vote because that's who's going to determine who our U.S. senators are. So even if you got out on November 3rd and you feel like, okay, I've done my duty, you haven't. Because the people that are actually going to choose our United States senators are the ones who vote in the runoff. I read somewhere else that the idea of everybody crying election fraud and especially people being disgruntled in Georgia, especially in places where they maybe voted for the first time, you know, in the North Georgia suburbs, like up in the Marjorie Taylor Greene or those, you know, where the passionate Trump community is. And they may feel like, well, my vote didn't count because not only am I being spoon fed that it's propaganda and it's fraud and it's fake. Um, my guy isn't going to be there. So am I going to go out again and do this? Look, this is part of the issue that Republicans have with this whole story about that the system doesn't work and it's broken in terms of voting because you're exactly right. If my guy didn't win and I think that the system is broken and that he lost because of it, why in the heck am I going to get back out on January 5th? So it is a very dangerous line that they're walking with that. And now you see the candidates, you see Warnock and Ossoff are doing all the media. They're going everywhere. I, I already know that Ossoff has challenged Purdue to three more debates. Purdue and Leffler, they don't go on anything except Fox News or something that's friendly to their cause. How much do you think that matters, Jen? So runoffs, and at least the political experts will tell you this, runoffs are base elections, meaning the only people who get out in runoffs are people who specifically want to vote for a candidate or against a candidate. And usually those are people that have strong feelings one way or the other, and usually strong um, kind of partisan ties to candidates. So as far as Purdue and Leffler are concerned, they don't want to go on anything else because the only thing they care about is getting their base out, which frankly, just listens to Fox. So for them, that's, that's great. They don't have to do anything else. But what I'm seeing with Ossoff and with Warnock is that they're actually trying to reach out a little bit more um, and, and trying to pull people in that may not normally get out in a runoff. Well, I've been seeing some groups, their, their goal is to knock on a million doors. That's a lot of doors. That's a lot of doors. And now we're getting sliding into COVID and the campaigning is beginning. I know that I was mortified at seeing the event where Marco Rubio came to town and it was an indoor event for Kelly Leffler. I mean, and now they're a package deal, right? You know, there's that great, you know, photo of the two of them together. And um, there's Marco Rubio giving his very scary socialist speech. The news was filled with stories of major American cities where these businesses were putting up plywood, which is what we do when a hurricane is on the way, but not when an election is on the way. And I assure you, they weren't putting up that plywood because conservatives were gonna be upset at the outcome of an election. These are radical elements. We are gonna lock arms and deliver this country. We are gonna deliver the American dream. The road to socialism does not run through Georgia. And they're all packed up in a room together. 
Yeah, I'm not quite sure what that's all about. And if you actually look at where some of the number spikes are in the state, they are in the areas where Trump had some of his super spreader events, including Cobb County. So it's really irresponsible. I mean, Democrats are obviously going to have to change their approach in some ways. We're going to have to have a ground game and we're going to have to figure out how to do it safely in the age of COVID. But they're not even trying. So that was sort of disturbing, but the parts of the speech where their whole uh, messaging, the entire messaging is radical socialist agenda. That's all they, that, that's what they have, right? All they're trying to do is scare people. People don't even know, what does that even mean? I don't it, understand it's just supposed what it means. To, It's just supposed to be scary. It's kind of the otherization of the, of the opponent just to make them other, to make them someone not like you and someone you can't trust. This is the, I, I still don't, I, I, I'm so confused uh, on what that actually means. Everybody is. <laughs> and it really doesn't mean anything in terms of, of reality. It, it is what they want it to mean. And every, you know, every base voter for the Republican Party thinks it's something different. I mean, that's what's so nutty. But what they know is that it works in terms of getting their base out. But look, I mean, what I'm looking for and what I think a lot of people are looking for, especially in the age of COVID, is for people to actually have a vision, right? What are you going to do? Because, look, our everyday lives are scary enough, right? Like, we are living it. So the whole idea that you're just going to throw some labels out there and, and, and scare us even more, it's like we've got to have people that actually know what they're doing. Final question on this before we get to our guest. When you are voting, do you think it's a slam dunk for the two of them? Do you think anybody's going to split the ticket? Do you, what's that going to look like? Are, if I'm a Democrat, am I just bo- voting for both and calling it a day? Or am I voting for one and not, you know, if, if I'm old guard Republican and I'm going to say, I'm going to just go with Purdue because he's very popular. People really like him. I don't know why. I don't know if he's really pop. I mean, people do like him. Look, they don't know anything about him. I mean, they know he's a U.S. senator and he looks like a U.S. senator. But but he has an appeal with that sort of... I watch the the Masters white man. Yeah, but those, golf are, all, those are Republicans. Well, that's what I mean. They yeah. like him. They yeah. really do. They're like, oh, he's a good businessman, and you know, he's a good you know he's a good American. I mean, it, perception is reality. You know, look, look, that that's his base, right? Yes. That those are those are his voters. You know, Georgia football. Well, you know, Georgia football has more appeal than just to that. Come on. That's that's a little below the belt. But um, look, the, the, the deal is this. I don't think anybody's going to split their ticket. I, okay. know, I, I know some people think, oh, well, maybe there will be this rational kind of decision making. And if you're getting out on January 5th or for this runoff. Um, you have a very clear opinion and view about Democrats and Republicans, and you're going to vote for either Leffler, Purdue, or you're going to vote for Ossoff, Warnock. And if you don't like one of them, let's say, you'll just not vote, but that doesn't mean you're, you're going to vote for the person in the opposite party. What do you think? Can they pull it off? Absolutely, they can pull it off. Okay. Senator Jen gives us all hope, so we're going to keep on talking about this because this is going to be going on for a while. All right, so we are incredibly excited to talk to Professor Anthony Christ. He is now with Georgia State University College of Law. 
he joined the faculty recently um, in 2020, and he, he's a big con law guy. And so we can't wait to ask him all kinds of questions, um, you know, about constitutional law. So thank you for being here, Anthony. Thanks, you all, for having me. Appreciate it. Well, it seems like lawyers are the new frontline workers. And I mean that in a way with the past couple of weeks that we've had as far as contesting the election and election fraud and taking up cases. And when that all started, Anthony, did that surprise you? Did you feel like in any way there was a shred of, oh, they may have something here? No. I mean, so here's here's the deal. I think this was the plan from the get go. Right. So when when the president back in whenever it was, maybe early summer, um, when the whole concept of vote by mail became very mainstream and it seemed obvious that states were going to move to making vote by mail easier and and people wanted to vote by mail and, and the like. And the president immediately attacked that as being you know, not secure and having problems and ripe for fraud and, and manipulation. I mean, it seemed to me that, you know, the, the, the plot was being laid uh, out for the president to later lose the election and then, you know, blame it on, on fraudulent, some kind of fraudulent activities. I mean, he even, you know, kind of you know, foreshadowed that in, in 2016. So, you know, maybe if there had been some kind of substantive allegations made with production of evidence, right, that the key missing piece here, there is no evidence. Um, you know, maybe if that had been, you know, part of this, you know, set of allegations, and if they had not been basically laying the trap for this argument for months, if not arguably years, you know, maybe people would take this a little bit more seriously, but there's just, it's just not, there's nothing there. So, you know, it's kind of hard to, you know, to, to combat the, uh, a negative thing, but that's, you know, really what we're dealing with, right? Yeah. You know, what surprised me is because I've looked at some of the filings um, in Georgia and in various states and, you know, they are attached to some lawyers who have good reputations or to firms um, that are well known. And it kind of surprised me a little bit. And so, you know, how do, how do you think about and, and I know Mara had a question specifically about representation. So Mara, shoot. Well, a lot of the law firms were getting shamed. And one that I kept seeing was Jones Day. Uh, there were several others, but people felt, well, well, how can these law firms take on knowing with everything that you just said, there was so little, little evidence and this seemed like just a big pile of propaganda. How is a law firm, like a check is a check, right? For a law firm, it's like, are they making that choice to take the business or not, or finding a soul when, you know, a law firm is def defending a killer or a Bernie Madoff or a Keith Raniere? How is this different? I mean, so first of all, I think there's a higher principle that's involved generally when you're, when you're talking about defending criminal defendants or you're involved in, in the criminal justice system and dealing with individuals who may not necessarily be, you know, you know, the, the, the you know, guilt seems fairly apparent, right? But but they're still entitled to a defense because the, the state is de is about to deprive them of, of life or liberty. And so there's there's a whole different value system there than taking on cases which there is no right, there's no higher principle of you know pursuing. But even, you know, even in a criminal you know, justice system context or a criminal trial context, right, lawyers just can't do whatever they want. 
right? So there's still an ethical obligation, you know, to rep- represent your client zealously, but to do so in, in a way that's right, consistent with our moral obligations as legal practitioners. So, you know, to me, there's a few things going on here. One is that these individuals who are filing these baseless claims are not immune from civil procedure uh, rules, which actually can come along with sanctions. So they can be sanctioned for, for filing what are essentially frivolous lawsuits. And I think that in some, if not many of these cases, that that courts should pursue that, I think. Um, so I think that's one thing. But again, you know, I think when the only goal here seems to be to delay and to undermine democratic legitimacy and to call into question electoral processes without any basis in reality, right? There is no, there's no higher calling to that. that. That's just, you know, to me, you know, it, it's a, in service to some kind of political goal. It's not, a, it's not, you know, some kind of higher calling uh, that we recognize in, in the legal community. So, you know, I think it's all fair and good, you know, to, to call out firms for doing things which we believe are, you know, out, not in the interest of society. Ooh, and people did. They did. They called them out. I mean, it was... But I will say this. I, I do want to push back against what I did see with the Lincoln Project in particular, because, you know, some of their tactics, I think, were a little overboard in terms of, like, putting people's emails and and you know, phone numbers. I, that makes me uneasy. Um, so I, I do think that there's a problem, you know, there, there's a different discussion we had about that, you know, the ethical ways we can push back against firms. But but I think the bottom line is this, is that, you know, there's a good to society that's that's had by ensuring that criminal defendants are representation. There's a good in society that, you know, unpopular causes are entitled to have legal representation. But, you know, undermining democratic legitimacy in, in, and that being the only goal that you know, there's no social good there. No, and also, look, you're exactly right that they're completely running afoul of just about every rule of civil procedure or providing any kind of evidentiary basis. I mean, I've read some of these things and it's like, well, this person said this to somebody else and then they told us. And I'm like, what is this? Um, It just doesn't even make any sense. And you're asking a court to stop the counting? I mean, especially in the election law context, that is such a serious kind of remedy ask, and then you don't even bring anything to the table. That's kind of what revealed to me that at the end of the day, like you said, this was just a tactic to delay. Yeah, that's all. I think that's all this is. It's it's just delay and and undermine credibility of the process. Well, they couldn't even get it straight. It was stop the count, count every vote. What (laughs) are we doing? Yeah, depending on which state you were in, right? (laughs) Depending if Trump was winning or not, whether you wanted to keep counting or not keep counting. Yeah. We're in this precarious spot and it's like folks are using it for political reasons. And and, and I completely agree with you. It's, it's, It's incredibly irresponsible. And the damage, I mean, the damage could be really, the damage could be permanent. Well, we talked about earlier how this could potentially affect Republicans voting in this runoff because if they feel the election was uh, fraud and not fair, what what's going to make them go out and vote again? Uh, that that's a great question. I mean, to me, I I have always felt, and I think that at least most of my ideological 
uh, compatriots feel this way too, that more voting, no matter what, is better, right? I want voting to be easier. I want more people to exercise their vote. I want people to, you know, to, to be able to do so in, a, in an easy, convenient, and safe way. And that includes people who will, who will vote, you know, alongside my interests and those who don't. So, you know, I'm, I'm really baffled by the fact that, you know, that there's a strategy out there that seems to not only be incredibly corrosive to our democracy and to de democratic norms, but to be, you know, just so incredibly short-sighted for their own political um, interests. Yeah, it's bizarre. You know what, I, I did want to ask one more thing when it comes to yeah. legal and what's been going on. A.G. Barr and mm. everything that he did and the guy that resigned because of it, do you think he'll be able to come back in a new administration or what did you make of all of that nuttiness? Yeah, so that, you know, it seems to me that, that the attorney general is, well, he, he's less than credible on a lot of things. And I, and I think that his attempt to, again, undermine the legitimacy of the process and the electoral process by at least, he, even if he's just signaling that there might be things there worth investigating. I mean, I think that alone is dangerous. And, and so, you know, the, the head of the uh, elections investigations bureau, you know, the fact that that person left, I think is, is really quite a sign of how dangerous the attorney general's position is. I would hope that in an Biden administration, you know, that they will be welcomed back within in the administration, because I think that was a remarkable sign of, of courage to, to speak out against what is, patently government abuse but totally. um you know my big hope and and you know I, I is that we really just get to a point where we restore that we restore the the integrity of the department of justice because it has been just abused i think as a political tool in a way that that it really should not be and so i'm looking forward to that maybe maybe with an attorney general sally yates or maybe, maybe jones I mean, there's there's a good couple Southerners in there who I'm I'm kind of rooting for, but you know, I I, I hope that we can get the the DOJ's house back in order come January. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Anthony Christ, it's been so nice talking to you and getting to know you, and I, you know, of course, uh, I love you on Twitter because you use RuPaul memes, so that <laughs> uh, right there, um, and we can follow you at Anthony Michael Crease. It's just, it's Anthony M. Christ. Yeah. A Anthony M. Christ with a K. Thanks yeah. so much for giving us some time today. That was, I learned a lot. Yeah, yeah. I did too. I, it's, it's like a free consult. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Talk Thank soon. Thank you. I learned, Jen, you're a real lawyer. I'm just a dum-dum. And I, I feel like I got a lot out of that. <laughs> Look, what's fascinating is sometimes what we think intuitively about something really may not be the case. You know, Anthony's a really smart dude. Really smart. All right. I'm going to look for him at Georgia State. And if I ever get into trouble, <laughs> I'm going to call him. Well, I'll call you first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. So a couple of funny things that we can address this week. I mean, there's been a lot. The, the One of my favorite things that happened this week was Jen using the term poppycock when you were talking about the election recount. Is that what it was in reference to? I forget what you, what you poppycocked. Well, I had read some of the allegations that had been filed in a Georgia court. Okay. And it was just... You know, look, as a lawyer, what I do is I read the complaint. I read to see 
if there's some legitimacy to the claims. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I read it and I'm like, are you frigging kidding me? I mean, it's it's the kind of stuff that that is or could be sanctionable. Well, I just think it's a really fun word to say. Poppycock! It sounds very old. <laughs> I loved it. And you know that's a, um, like a popcorn and nut snack? No, I did not know that. You didn't know that? I'm bringing you some. Oh, Because that's the first thing I thought of. It's like you buy it in the deli. It's poppycock. Um, and then I was like, oh, we could have a segment. The, you know, the <laughs> poppycock of the week. <laughs> oh, God. All right. Or this week in poppycock. And this would be a perfect segue into the most amazing clip that the, the Daily Show had in 2018. They put together this clip reel of all of these, they had like all these pundits, all these politicians, everybody saying, hey, the election's over. Let's get over it. And it was so resonant uh, to right now. Let's take a listen. Democrats are being sore losers. They refuse to acknowledge they lost the election. So what do they do? They cry malfeasance, wrongdoing, criminality, fraud. Democrats, more so than Republicans, seem to have a problem conceding defeat. Either the election system broke down or some mystery votes are hiding somewhere. You have a whole series of Democrats who've just said bluntly, if our candidate doesn't win, they stole the election. The Dems just want to make America suffer. It's like losing the World Series and demanding an extra inning the, a day later. The Democrats are refusing to accept the declared results of the national media. So how do they do this? Lo and behold, they find missing ballots. The radical left is attacking the sanctity of our votes. Refusing to accept the midterm election results. So what if these were Republicans refusing to concede. Democrats may see how they'll be able in the future to steal elections through lawsuits you that know. they can't win with the voters. Ramping up election conspiracy theories, accusing Republicans of outright stealing the election. Kind of rich. You know what? Sounds sore loserish. I mean. Well, it, it's funny. It's like, you know, be careful, you know, what you say. But I think that just kind of highlights the hypocrisy or, or how ridiculous these allegations of, you know, attacking the election results are. I mean, they were in the same exact position, actually not as good of a position as Joe Biden, but, you know, and they're saying the exact opposite now. So, you know. Let's, it's great. Let's just, yeah, sure, Jan. And I also love Megan McCain tweeted out a meme that says, and it's a picture of the late Senator John McCain, and it says, I like people who don't like lose Arizona. Oh, gosh. <laughs> that was actually really good. Yeah, that was, was a good one. So that was good there. And then my other favorite, like, hilarious moment of the week. I don't know if you saw that um, Trump had a big thanks for Scott Bayo, Chachi, because Chachi was in a Michaels. By the way, I love Michaels. I do, too. I could spend all day in a Michaels, and I end up buying all this stupid a shit. A lot. A lot of I, stuff. I don't need it. I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but I love a Michaels. Well, what's interesting about the story is, so Scott Bayo's in the Michaels, and you know how they have, like, the different uh, glasses or uh, candles that have initials on them. And so he had taken this display, or someone had, and basically, what, what did it say? Something it says, like, still, wait, 
It says, um, Trump is still your president. <laughs> right. So he posts this on the internet and then Michaels turns around and gets and totally owns him and is basically like, look, guy, that's not okay. <laughs> It made me want to go to my, well, I always want to go to Michael's and I always want to go to Home Goods, and I want, always want to spend time. I mean, it's the weird thing about Michael's. I don't even know what I'm going to do with all this crap, but I still like to be in the universe with the fact that Scott Bayo did this. And what, Scott Bayo was probably not in the Michael's. He probably saw it. But that's and, what's kind of funny to think <laughs> of him being in a Michael's and sitting there and manipulating like this, this whole thing. I mean, you know, talk about somebody needing to get a job. Well, I guess they can go to Hobby Lobby instead because that may be more his lane. Da-dun-dun. And there you go. And with that, we want you to keep in touch with us. Listen, we're going to keep you updated on all the runoff stuff. This is so important that if you have not requested your absentee ballot by the time you're listening to this, go ahead and get online and do it. I feel like in a weird way, this election is so much more important for Georgia. I mean, we really got to, we got one win. We're in the playoffs. Now we got to win the Super Bowl. Uh, so go ahead and make sure you get involved in that. You can follow us at Senator Jen, at Mara Davis. You can send us an email to voteherpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Podcast Vote. We want to thank Christina Larringer for editing. We want to thank Terminus Records for our music. Senator Jen, anything else we need to know? No, but let's also thank the poll workers. Yes. And the people that are sitting there in those warehouses and hand counting five million ballots. God bless you. One, two, three, <laughs> four, five. And uh, I'll see you at Michael's this week. 